Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my returning guest, Mr. Billy Rideout. How you doing, Billy? I'm doing great. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for coming back on. Of course, I went down a little memory lane and thought the you know, least I could do was go look. October 14th, 2020 was when you got, when you and I aired our episode, which we probably recorded maybe a month, month and a half before that. I don't know about you, but that feels like many, many lifetimes ago at this point. At this point. Yes, absolutely. It, uh, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Um, I <laughs> or, when, if, or when I, you're I locked down in COVID. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know if the pandemic was became, you know, classified as fun, but uh, you got to make the best of every situation, I guess. I hundred percent agree. And so many of my guests, that is the story. And I, uh, you know, never waste a good pandemic. I don't know. That wasn't a saying, but maybe it is now. I don't know. Never waste a good crisis. I've heard, but we could be more specific. Uh, you're the CEO and visionary at Exergy Solutions. So let's just set the stage for anyone. If you haven't, it's episode 85. Go back and check it out. We had a good conversation really about your what and your why behind kind of why you started Exergy. But for anybody who's listening and we're in the quick elevator pitch elevator, what's the, uh, what's the 20 floors summary of uh, what Exergy is all about and the role you guys play in the world? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Exergy, we, we play in the uh, innovation space. So essentially, we have a facility where kind of a lab where we can build pilot plants and we can use cool things like 3D printers to try to change the world. And, and we, we work with a lot of startups and big industry players to take their technology, uh, be it clean tech or productivity improvements or lower GSG, GHG technology. And we try to de-risk the technology. So by sometimes mm-hmm. it starts under a fume hood, then it's a bench test, then it's a pilot plant that gets deployed uh, to their industrial facility to uh, to make it work. I appreciate that. So th- you caught me. You, you, I've been hung up on 3D printers to try and change the world from there. So from an additive manufacturing perspective, and does, is that what a big part of your, and I've toured your facility and you guys have some, had some really cool stuff going on. Like, How's that technology progressing in terms of the ability to develop a prototype or to duplicate a certain part or something like that in kind of that additive manufacturing world? Is that technology leaping forward from where it even was five years ago? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's leaping forward almost on a daily basis. I mean, uh, getting more into very exotic materials and uh, which can resist certain chemicals and 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 high severity, high pressure, high temperature. And I think a lot of people think that well, that's the maker bot that this plastic machine. And when you start to, when you see the machines that we're operating at our lab, these are serious pieces of equipment with serious abilities to handle high pressure and 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 very hazardous environments. Uh, interesting. So okay. it's, it's it's evolving and its acceptance is also growing. So I think uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. really adopted as a is a method of fabrication a while back, but that's that's changing very rapidly. All of the uh, CSA and ASME and all the the boiler the boiler codes they call them they're um, okay. getting more and more. They're accepting this tech. 
change change management is somewhere behind all technology no matter how cool or interesting or amazing it might see as an outsider there's these are heavily regulated regulated sectors and industries where safety is paramount and failure can cause catastrophic so i do appreciate their resistance to just go yeah great you made this on your printer sure throw it throw it into the mix what could happen <laughs> yeah we test test and double test everything and, and test it at much higher pressures and temperatures that that it's meant to operate in to make sure it's safe I appreciate, I appreciate that. So give us, so you're based in, you're based in Alberta. Do you, with the players and kind of talking a little bit about your customer base and who you service, are they typically based here? Is it Western Canada? Is it specifically the energy sector? Or again, it's been a couple of years since we chatted last, kind of curious how, how your access to what, what markets do you play in and where do you, where are you getting the most traction? Yeah, we play in, in, in more conventional energy and gas markets, helping those operators reduce their GHG footprint. But we also play a lot more and more. We play with clean tech companies because okay. their technologies are at a need to be developed for their ND risk. So uh, it's it's across Canada and a little bit, just a little bit internationally. I just came back from a trip uh, from Germany and, and, and there was a lot of talk around hydrogen there as well as there is in our province. But, uh, you know, uh, chain changing the world and the how energy is made is is very much an international opportunity so we we play in all um in all areas okay i appreciate that well kind of pivoting into clean tech a little bit what are we when you when you get out there on the world stage and you come back from germany for say versus the conversations you're having with companies here it's always curious i can't resist like how do where do we sit on the world stage where do we sit in comparison or in contrast or you know kind of the conversations that you get to have are we ahead are we behind is the world all kind of in lockstep or is there different geographies where you see you know either more openness to it i guess is one thing versus then just pure advancement i was more open so now we're farther ahead kind of timeline wise mm -hmm. it's interesting like uh, canada and alberta in particular is actually at the world stage level i mean i think because of our of our innate ability to build uh, large facilities and play in the energy mm -hmm. space that we've already done and in canada i think one of the steps ahead is because of the regulatory framework that we've had to, to you know obviously make sure things don't leak and that they work more efficiently we've we've positioned ourselves to uh, probably create some world-class products. So there's a lot of world-class kind of companies that are emerging out of, out of Alberta and Canada. So, um, and I, I would say we're at par. I mean, okay. sometimes we're, we find we're behind, you know, European nations, for example, but um, I, I would say that there's a pretty, pretty tight race there. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And is there any, uh, from a, again, I'm putting my marketing hat on. I look to Western Canada. I think about being in the rest of the world. Like, is there a like, wow, Western Canada, you do this well, you've been doing this for a long time. We're looking for some thought leadership. Like, is there any opportunity or, or does that brand exist out there? This being known specifically Alberta uh, as a, as a market where we've been doing, we've been doing this type of thing and like this scope and scale of project that like you said for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would say that, uh, we're definitely um, uh, revered in some ways, like some okay. technologies, like uh, like just in Calgary or in Alberta, there's like a three, three or four and growing lists of companies playing in the lithium space, yes. which is not which is not conventional energy. You hear a lot of this on the news, and 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 so there's there's some abilities here that the world is looking at, and and and, and there, you know we've seen a lot on the headlines that there's investment coming into Alberta. And I, and I think we've been in, you know, fortunate is that Alberta's grown a, a high tech, a young high tech uh, mm -hmm. demographic of people that are highly skilled, a lot of what you call HQPs or highly qualified personnel. So um, the ecosystem for developing technology in Alberta is is ripe and in a lot of ways um, ready to ready to scale. HQPs. I love a good, I love a new acronym. I've, that's the first time I've heard that one. Highly qualified personnel. I like it. I like yeah. a good TLA whenever I can. This is a city run by engineers and accountants. There's acronyms. You drown in acronyms in the city. Um, yeah, I think there was a, I think uh, E3 Lithium had a, I think they were in the news on Thursday or Friday of last week. They kind of did a deal with Imperial Oil around there. They've had the CEO on like a while back with what their vision was for lithium extraction and the potential in the province. And I, I someone forwarded me an article that uh, I hadn't read the depths of it yet, but that they uh, did a pilot project with Imperial uh, around exactly that. I'm not sure the parameters of it, but those types of those those types of headlines start to get it on everybody's radar because I think there's a lot of amazing things going on in this province that don't always make the six o'clock news <laughs> or whatever version of that there is. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So when you're working in clean tech and like, let's get into the nitty gritty and give the audience an opportunity to kind of like, again, clean tech, nice, big, broad, broad, fintech, clean tech, ag tech, you can pick the acronym and throw tech on the end. What kind of projects are you seeing? Or like, more importantly, what gets you excited? Because I know you're an engineer and you're a guy who likes to, who likes to nerd out on things and break things and put them back together from our last conversation. So what kind of gets you excited in that space and some of the innovation that you're seeing go along with it? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big buzz right now is hydrogen. So playing with with hydrogen and, and and developing technologies where you can turn methane into hydrogen. So that's mm. that's uh, you know, and and Alberta just had a conference in Edmonton that was really at the world stage, and and you can do this with many ways. You can do this with uh, uh, electrochemical cells or plasma, and there's a lot of um, start companies that are probably beyond startup, startup to scale up that are, that are converting okay. methane into hydrogen. And in, in, as they're doing this, they're creating things like carbon and graphene. And so there's byproducts here that are really revered in the um, manufacturing sector. I would say another one project that just came out of our doors not too long ago was an energy storage device. So as we talk about, uh, wind and the, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So, <laughs> yep. mm -hmm. so storage is a big topic when it comes to the energy transition. And um, so we built a, recently a flow battery, which is basically a large scale industrial battery meant to store energy. Uh, so that that's, you know, CO2 cap captures is obviously a big topic because of the large emitters and, and, and those are, you know, quick wins to reduce the CO2 footprint of, of big industry. And, um, so there, and even geothermal. So uh, geothermal is an exciting topic as well. And there's a lot of companies in Alberta that are, you know, we're 3d printing some, some tools that some parts that go down hole to, uh, capture this energy and recover it, which is, so there's, there's lots of, it takes many, many technologies out there in this clean tech world. It's a lot broader than we think. Mm, I, I appreciate that. And for you guys with the role that, that you play, are you consulting with these organizations on how to solve the problem or, or maybe and or, not or, and is it also a combination of like, hey, we've we've got so far, but we've got a limited in terms of we don't know or we can't get access, like you said, you're 3D printing apart specifically. Would you be in the innovation cycle around that and designing and figuring that out? Or would they do that work and go, wow, we come to you because then you can kind of step in as the manufacturer of that product for us? Or is it a combination? Well, it's, it's it, typically we end up collaborating with them. So, you know, if you look at a startup firm, they may have three to 10 employees, limited budgets, and they have a great idea that can change the world, but they don't necessarily have every discipline of engineer from chemical to mechanical to mm, okay. automation, electrical, and they don't have a constant need for being fully staffed in these areas. So they come in with their skill set. We complement them with the skill set at Exergy and work alongside them on their tech. Sometimes they're even standing right beside us in the lab and they, they you know, not necessarily having hands on the dials, but they're observing their experiments as they're being built and their prototypes and, and testing it alongside with us. So it's very much a, a, a collaborative effort. And for you, has that as your name gets out there and you get, I think you established in 2015 and obviously COVID and all the, 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 the twists and turns, but certainly this movement towards clean tech and just Alberta, Alberta, it seems to be embracing so much around energy transition. Has that only just been more and more like, have you guys been just getting steadily more busy? I guess the simple way to ask the question. <laughs> yeah. Busier and, and also touching more, more verticals or I guess okay. more verticals within energy or more, more different topics. Um, with our additive manufacturing capabilities, we've been able to, sometimes they have a pilot plant that they just cannot fathom how they're going to build a certain component uh, within that plant. And they just think, I don't know if this is possible. So with, with, with the additive manufacturing capabilities, we say, well, I think we can make this, we can make any shape or geometry or uh, work with different metallurgies. And so I, I, they, Startups are always fun to work with. They have these bright ideas, but they just don't have all the resources in their hands to, to, to develop them. So we jump in there and roll up our sleeves alongside them and, and get it done. With those startups you're working with, 
I appreciate getting access to resources and having a partner like you to come in at the table. What are you seeing? And kind of we're going off in the fringe a little bit, but how are you seeing from a funding perspective? Are they getting the money to do the work? Like what's, because of course I love to have conversations with, you know, follow the money. Okay, we've got a great idea, but no one to fund it, or maybe it's new or people are uncomfortable in this province investing in certain things. How's the, how have you seen that evolve? Is there, is there, because obviously their ability to work with you is also tied to their funding partner access. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, funding in this space is is become more and more uh, a priority for both provincial, federal governments, and there's even uh, interesting programs where you can work internationally. Well, it could be a European company working with a Canadian company, and then there's these collaborative kind of programs where different countries work together. So, I would say when you look at like, global warming or you look at energy transition, this is an international problem. It's not a regional problem, and mm -hmm. And sometimes it could be an idea out in another part of the world combined with an idea here or, or skills that are here to make it a reality. Or sometimes it's an international um, business, uh, somebody from another country that comes in here and says, hey, we have something that you could apply to the oil sands or to Alberta's energy sector or somewhere in Canada. And and I think it, it, it the, the, the concoction of how it gets funded Sometimes you end up stacking funds provincially and federally, just like when you see on the side of a highway where the highway was funded by by federal <laughs> and provincial governments type of thing. So there's a there's a big appetite to fund this stuff because it's um it's it, it, you you probably see it on the news every other week that there's a a, a new startup that got funded um, and uh, it's exciting times and the money's there it seems to by by and large. Interesting. I appreciate what you said about, you know, especially in the clean tech space, there's so much optics and obviously a high degree of importance on it at the federal and kind of provincial level that governments are, uh, the, the friction is reduced for them to invest in that because it is such a widely recognized and from a voter, from a voter constituency process, like it's, there's no one not behind getting better in, in those, in those areas. Interesting to hear. I'm excited to hear so much more kind of global interaction with Alberta companies around this of like, Hey, you might have a really good environment for hydrogen or geothermal or things like that. And we've come up with some technology that might work. Uh, curious. I'm going way off in left field now. How's that matchmaking process happening? Is it companies here reaching out? Is it government groups and trade missions and that sort of thing? And you said you just got back from Germany. So would you like meet people and say, Hey, you know what? I need to introduce you to somebody in Alberta. Cause you guys have a, is it a lot of just that grassroots or are there some more formal programs? And I've heard of some, like the classic trade mission or the Calgary Economic Development traveling somewhere to try to expose what's available here. Curious what you're seeing there and are we doing are we doing enough of it and like what's working and is there a lever we can pull to, of course, always make it work better? That's the question. Yeah, I mean, trade missions are are excellent opportunity. I think getting out there is is probably something that Albertans need to do more. Mm. Uh, and I guess with the pandemic, people have been kind of you know, staying at home for the most part. But <laughs> yes, the, yeah, totally. We're talking scene. about here forward, I guess, maybe looking to the future versus the <laughs> yeah. last two years. The, the conference scene has been very active and and I think people are excited to get back and meet people in person. Uh, there seems to be an event every time you turn around these days. <laughs> yeah, a panel much, discussion yeah. here or a speaker event over there and you go and it's packed and there's like, you know, sometimes it's a couple thousand people in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, you got to pick and choose actually because you could spend <laughs> you do. every week going to conferences and... So you got to see what's very relevant to your industry and relevant to your business that, and, and make sure that you're there meeting the right people, even when you're there, because there's thousands of people there. And, and, but, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's a very active conference scene. It's, it's not, and it's not only government that's participating in this, like there's a lot of big industry players and they got their eyes on all this tech too, because mm -hmm. the, the writing's on the wall around ESG, uh, mm -hmm. scores and, and, see a lot of oil and gas companies they're just kind of buying back their shares right now and and they're not really you know investing in and in doing things the old way uh, they're not doubling down on their old way of doing business they're looking for new ideas and they're going to those conferences as well because of all the the clean tech companies out there they're not all you know unicorns or necessarily you know uh, hugely successful there some of them are early days and we don't know if they're economic and we really have to weed the garden of these ideas um, and find out which ones are winners and which ones make make business sense. And you really need everybody at the table to do that. You need the bigger, the big players that are willing to test and put these things in at scale to see if they work. Pilot projects, things like that. Mm -hmm. Hey, how big's your how big's your team? Always always curious. Like, what's your what's your what's your core group look like? 
Yeah, our, our core staff is around 40 people right now, but it's okay. split between our downtown office and lab. And then we have some additional contract resources that we bring on board depending on our, our, the amount of projects that we have in flight. So okay. yeah, it's a bit of a hybrid team. And you still got to both locations because I know you were, at one point, I think you proposed maybe a wormhole somehow that you could bridge people back between the two spaces. <laughs> yeah. yeah <they> <laughs> if I remember back to our episode, so I, I, like, yeah, that, I like that idea. <laughs> well, I think we're on a wormhole right now. We're connected on a Teams call, so wormholes aren't a new thing. Um, <laughs> Touche. Touche. Yeah. Uh, our, our new, uh, we're actually opening a new location in, uh, in September uh, down in the uh, Quarry Park area. So we're expanding to a facility about three times the size of what we had by the university. Oh, right on. Some, okay. Uh, yeah, with more big bay doors so we can build more pilot plants and uh, more mm. obviously high high tech uh, additive manufacturing equipment. So yeah, we, we've kind of outgrown our space um, and are moving to a bigger, bigger, badder space. Well, congratulations. That's a, I love success problems. They're my favorite kind of problems. We're, we're doing so well, we've outgrown. We need to do bigger, cooler things. So yeah. I'm looking to you from the outside and what I'm hearing and certainly the impression I got the first time and getting to know you a little bit and kind of your mindset. You guys are innovative. You're thinking about what's new. You're kind of in that bleeding edge space. From just an overall being an organization as being the leader, how do you keep or how do you, like what's your strategy for maintaining that level of like always hungry, always trying to figure out the new problem? Like you get, your team must be in a constant barrage of just nonstop learning and 50% of your day is encountering something that, no, we don't know how that works, but we're going to figure it out. I'm assuming that's just a mantra or a way of being. So as an organization and change fatigue and just we're humans and we're getting inundated with every time we turn around, there's a new new way we have to do something and maybe a new way we want to do something. How do you balance that out in terms of from a leadership and a culture that's always breaking it and making it better? <laughs> yeah, well, I would say it's a little easier because a lot of times companies are doing things on paper and it's hard to really think on paper for some. Some people are great at with formulas and, and mm -hmm. whatnot, but at, at Exergy, we're we're always we're constantly building and working with our hands and testing and a lot of what we do we can see the result almost you know the next day. So when we build a little mm. bench pilot, for example, it's super hands on. So as you process a fluid and convert it into something, um, and you and you get the lab result, you're like oh okay, and you and you learn from that. And when people are actually using their hands and building things physically. I find it just more engaged and, and it's a, it's a, it's a more deeper learning experience. And that's why when you go to high schools, they end up building like bridges out of popsicle sticks and, and they love to see the youth kind of learn through building things. And I would say the same as with Exergy, we, we don't like, now we think we're kind of thinkers that do, right? So as, as our customers come to us with an idea and they want to test something, sometimes like we already have the piping and the valves and the little components and fittings in a drawer. So we just kind of look at them in the eyeballs and say, hey, well, hey, let's build something and let's try it out. And and it kind of catches them by surprise because they're like, well, I was I've been thinking about this for a year and and I it works on paper. Here's the formula. Well let's let's try it out. And and I think that's a it puts us at an advantage to work with our customers and, and learn faster. You you learn through we learn through doing and through testing. And with additive and your access to the tools and like having all the valves kind of already mocked up in a drawer, is that kind of mindset also of like being able to like build something at, at a very reduced scale? So then removes the barrier of actually trying it. Like always feels like sometimes we get, get caught in the perfectionist procrastinator cycle of like, well, I have to wait till it's perfect before we build it. Cause there's too much risk. And what I'm hearing you say is like, no, 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 let's build a model. And if it breaks, well, it doesn't break. We just learn. And we, and we learn like on a daily basis. That's pretty, that's, that's actually sounds pretty appealing and maybe a little conscious contrary to some of the thinking that I run into sometimes where it's like, oh, no, 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 we have to more time thinking, less time doing. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. You build that, you know, that, 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 that box you build in woodshop, the second one's always better, always, every time, because <laughs> yeah, you don't make so the yeah, same mistakes when you build the first one. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's why you just have to start somewhere. And I mean, you can do it. Sometimes it sounds like risque and uh, well, you're, you're, you know, I, I haven't quite thought this out, but sometimes when you're doing it on paper and, and, and you haven't actually done that first box, so to speak. Yep. You um, and once you build it, you're like, oh, you you learn so much more because you were able to see the process and how it comes together. So we 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 thrive in this in in this doing mode, and you can do it safely. Sometimes people think that well, that's not like we don't we haven't calculated everything, we haven't dotted our i's and crossed our t's, so we're not quite ready. 
and, and you know the reality is you're never ready and and <laughs> and you just need to kind of uh you know for example a technology may have four or five steps to it of which out of those four or five steps there's one step that they're wondering i don't know if it's going to work so i let me do some more calculations and as you de-risk technology you actually just go start you know it's, it's saying is fail fast fail cheap so go take that one thing out of five that you're worried about not working and do what you call a minimal viable product or do a little test and, and a component level test versus test, you know, spending money to build the whole thing. Just test one part of it that that's kind of keeping you up at night, wondering if it's going to work. Um, so that's it's key is to, is to be is to work smarter as well and, and not just roll up your sleeve and start working is like what part of this process is not going to work and how can we improve the chances of success? Isolate the unknown and just focus on and focus on that. Exactly. When you're working with larger or enterprise level organizations, is that hard for them to get their mind around simply because they do things at such scale and so many layers and bureaucracy? Like the classic, you know, it's hard to innovate inside a culture that has grown to a level of operational efficiency because at scale, innovation is not necessarily always part of the process. But today it feels like you don't have your skunk works or your R and D or your some division that's doing that, you're quickly falling out of you're you're, you're falling behind. Has that been a challenge? Like just the change management conversations of introducing this of like, come on, let's just, let's come on, come on, trust me, give it a try. <laughs> yeah. To them, to like a big oil and gas major, it looks like you're being cavalier. Um, but that's hmm. not the case because they're used to calculating everything, running everything through what you call a risk register. And they're very risk-based organizations and rightly so because they're dealing with, you know, large vessels, uh, concentrations of toxic chemicals and things like that. And mm -hmm. what, what you need to do is isolate that risk and understand. And in innovation, you're not necessarily dealing with risk. You're dealing with what we call uncertainty. I do like that. Risk versus uncertainty are different. <laughs> they look at it as risk. But if you're testing something and it's the size of a coffee cup, um, you know nobody's really going to get hurt as long as you control that experiment and make sure that you're wearing the proper uh, personal protective equipment so risk, you know, but if it's, if it's the size of a, of a container ship, I mean, obviously there's a much more risk. So you, you have to understand how working at small scale is, is not necessarily, uh, is at the same risk level as working at an industrial scale. Well, to, re to reduce the risk in the presence of a high degree of uncertainty is really, would be kind of the formula. I really appreciate your dichotomy of those two words because they, they could easily be mistaken for similar, but they're, they're very different. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, a, it's, it's about innovation culture and, and it is hard to build an innovation culture in larger organizations. So mm. you really have to kind of almost like wear another hat and say, Oh, wait, I'm in the lab. I'm dealing with a small experiment, but if it works, it could have a major impact in, in the scale facility. So you have to understand the uh, flip side is if you don't experiment and you don't learn, your industrial operation is going to continue operating the way it is right now. So you, you need to, to kind of understand that, that scale. Well, the risk of inaction can be greater than the risk of exactly. a, a mitigated risk of action. So do you often get, get to play the role of, of the outsource innovation partner, the Skunk Works, the, the, this is our R&D lab. We're, we're partnering with Exergy because it allows us to, like, one, they're really good at it. Two, it completely kind of unplugs it from our environment. So all of our governance and all of our protocols, although still valid and in place, can be put on pause while we're in this kind of third-party environment testing and learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the idea around Exergy is to mm. create that environment where it's safe to innovate, it's safe to try things out. And and it, there's rules. There are obviously a lot of rules around safety and making sure things are done properly. However, we're not burdened with 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 documents, uh, you know, two two inch thick manuals of what you can <laughs> and can't do. We uh, and, and, and I think that Within large companies, there's such things as what you call entrepreneurs. So there are people that work in big companies and they're very entrepreneurial and they want to actually uh, try new things. And, and they really thrive when they come over to Exergy. They, it's almost like they're in more of the work environment that they were meant to be in. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's fun to see you know, people from large companies you know, working alongside our team at the lab, building something that may change their industry. And that, that's what really gets me excited to get out of the bed in the morning is is seeing you know what's happening at at uh, at Exergy with our customers. Well, I, I'm imagining if I'm 
working at Suncor for say a company you might you, you I think you had a few, you spent a, you had a bit of a tenure there and all of a sudden I get to go to it's extra GJ on a Wednesday and I get to go in the lab and put on my gear and get in there and get my hands dirty which for some of these individuals that's maybe why they got into it in the first place that sounds like it could be a, that could be a fun day that could be a field trip worth attending <laughs> yeah for yeah, you it's, it's yeah. Um, and I'm assuming 16 years, of course, I'm creeping on your LinkedIn, 16 years, almost 17 years at Suncor. I'm assuming that's a huge advantage to you because not only I, I'm a startup, but I've never worked in a large organization. I maybe get frustrated of why they just don't try the thing I have. I have the solution. But I would guess you're very familiar with how to navigate some of those environments because you, you know understanding something from the inside is different than looking in going, why don't they do it the way I want them to do it? Which I know a lot of startup founders, they get very frustrated by by trying to partner with some with large organizations where they just don't they don't understand each other's languages. That may be a kind way to say it. <laughs> yeah. We actually play a, a bit of an in-between because like, a lot of the people that work for us came from big industry, you know, the Suncors, Syncrude, Synovus, and, and Canadian Natural, all those big Imperial Oil, all those big companies. We, I would say about half of our employees came from that environment. Mm, okay. And the other half of our employee base, they're either fresh out of school and, and know how to build things. And, and so they're not tainted by by the working slowly or working in a, in a, in a, in a more bureaucratic environment. So what's, what's great. It's, it's a bit of a, a, a melting pot of, of thought of culture and, and, uh, company culture. And I would say that's kind of key to the success is you, you do need to understand the big industry, big industry has complex issues and scaling technology is always the problem. So it may work in, in a, in a lab. And, but that's a really controlled environment, everything. And it could be a batch operation where you're doing things in a beaker. And of course it works perfectly when you give it a perfect chance. But yeah. when you start scaling things and the pipes get 24 or 36 inches, there's a whole other set of dynamics that come into play when you scale. And, and so I wouldn't say in either of these camps are right or wrong. Uh, Extrigy ends up playing this role, this in-between role where we demystify each other uh, each organization so that they can actually move forward because it is very intimidating for a startup to, to work with an energy major. It's, it's just two different, uh, two different worlds. And speaking different languages for sure. And, yeah. and, and both could, could very much benefit from, from the other, but if you can't, if there's no translator in between, that makes it kind of tricky. Absolutely. Curious, what's been your experience? Obviously, our energy sector, even from when you and I talked till now, has significantly shifted, and you know, dollars have gone up, and there's there's a lot more activity. Any challenges around staffing, recruiting? You know, the energy industry is famous for the arms race that kind of happens when things boom and talent gets gets pulled. And I've I've talked to a few engineering companies that I know, and they've like, oh man, we've lost some of our best people to the sector because now they're like everyone's short, super shorthanded now. What what have you seen kind of happen from a talent perspective? Maybe it's affected you, or maybe obviously you're very involved. So what are you kind of seeing going on now based on our our current? I don't want to use the word boom, but a positive cycle we're in right now. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the positive cycle is generally positive, but yeah, retaining talent is is always a challenge. And and I think I think we also need to realize the next generation of workers is they they probably have already conceded to the thought that they're going to move around and they mm. they they have this real appetite to learn. So you know, I mean, you may look at somebody leaving your organization and going to another organization as a loss, but to me, sometimes I look at that and say, well, this is a this is a good thing. They're now working for a potential customer and they worked within <laughs> yeah. our business. And they know what we can do and how we can help that organization. So people moving around is not a bad thing. Um, I think more and more, though, I would say that employers need to look at how to create that value proposition uh, to the employee base. Obviously, flexible work environment, flexible hours, ability to, you know, so there's a lot of, I think, I think a lot of uh, companies and their HR departments are, are laser focused on on how to retain people and it's not and it's not just money sometimes it's work environment and culture and you know learning having having a, a leadership team that you can learn from and and mentorship so it's it's getting more and more competitive it's definitely heating up yeah, that's that's certainly what I'm hearing across the board. Which is when I yeah. and I agree with you, like employer branding and that story you tell about your company. It's not just the story; it's what is actually real. Am I learning something new? Am I 
getting to build things, break things. And like, I do love when a company is more, you know, listening to you talk, it's very clear what you do and the culture you have, which to me, that makes it great because the people that want that will want it. And the people that don't, don't like being very clear what you stand for and the type of work you're going to do and the environment you're going to be in. The more clear you are, the more one person might fall in love with you and one person not, but that's okay. <laughs> Cause the person yeah. that does is really looking for your type of offer is your type of offering. Yeah. Put on the goggles and go and make some things, break some things like that. That definitely must attract an interesting group of individuals. We you got a bunch of you got a bunch of MacGyvers. I'm dating myself with that reference, but I'm sure you know what I mean. You probably got a bunch of MacGyvers yeah. running around there, just like I think we ah, you know what? I think we can make this. <laughs> yeah, innovation doesn't stop when we run out of duct tape, though. But um, <laughs> we we don't duct tape many things. Touche. Um, yes, yes. Um, we have to make sure we seal stuff properly or weld things properly so that they don't leak. But um, yeah, you are dating yourself with the MacGyver <laughs> analogy. Yeah, but you knew what it was. I knew you would. Some of my audience will. Some will be like, what is he talking about? That's okay. I, I, I realize my age whenever I make pop culture references very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned government involvement and lots of, lots of co-investment specifically because obviously clean tech and what we're doing around the environment is incredibly important and governments are kind of a big player in that uh, as well as private sector money. What we've talked a lot about the positives. Anything kind of getting in the way besides just time and the 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 duration it takes to get innovation? I'm curious because you work in environments where you probably see good ideas that don't always get to come to fruition. And I don't know. It's kind of a magic wand question. If you had that magic wand and you wanted to fix a few things, maybe fix in Western Canada that would allow us to just keep moving forward at a really smooth but consistent pace. Anything you see getting in the way that jumps out for you? The fr that frustrates you? Yeah, I think the biggest frustrate biggest frustration in the innovation energy sector is intellectual property. So, mm. for for some reason, companies have been habituated that they think they have this kind of world changing idea, and they and they are they're they really have their arms wrapped around tight around their intellectual property, and and I think sometimes what we found we work with different startups, and then startup number one and startup number two, and we notice like halfway through that oh geez, if they were kind of working, they look at, mm -hmm. they're looking at each other like competitors, but if they were actually working a little closer or sharing some information, both of their technologies might come out ahead if they were collaborating. And what I find interesting is the next generation of workers want to collaborate. They, they kind of, I'll call them the Instagram generation. And they, they, you know somebody that's a stranger to them, all of a sudden they have no problem showing them, you know, at this party and, and, you know, just kind of like people make friends fast. And, uh, but when it comes to tech and it comes to innovators, I guess, you know, you bring your lawyers to the meeting and, and here you meet my lawyer, I'll meet your lawyer and, and things get really serious, really fast. And, yeah. and I think we need to, in order to, to move things faster, we need to let our guard down a bit. Um, Silicon Valley is a good example. Uh, you know, where they've created things like GitHub, where code is being shared. So certain things that they've created, they've put it into this pool for the world to share. And I, and I think the energy industry needs to start doing that more and more. And, and we're starting to see it. I mean, mm. one, one project is a partnership of three oil majors that we're working on right now. And historically, these, these oil majors would not typically uh, work together. They'd be thinking that their, their tech is the best one. And now they're, they're kind of realizing if we can get all of our different IP together, we can probably create something that will actually work. I really appreciate that. Like versus kind of the, who you're against, it's a much bigger world out there than being against each other. And if you lose track and then like the world moves in a different direction, cause you're too busy infighting with each other. I, um, we worked as a, a Canadian energy pipeline association was a client of ours years ago and seeing the challenges they had of getting all the pipeline majors around the table to like agree on a report or to agree on a, some core messaging or agree on a safety protocol and get them all to kind of uncross their arms and actually embrace, you know, an industry that was kind of under, under attack. And like, how do we kind of come together and show a face to, to the Canadian? And it was interesting. Like they did, I was amazed at the work that they did, but I didn't lose me for a second of how hard it was to get that kind of collaboration in a group that are, are, are competing with each other in some ways, but in other ways, we don't pull together. We, we can't fight on a unified front, not to use fighting analogies, but you know, you know what I mean? Change, change on a united front. <laughs> if we're too busy watching our, watching our back, it's hard, it's hard to move forward. I do appreciate that. And it does feel certainly have a lot of people on from the tech, tech, tech sector, which I know is a broad statement to make, but more the startup ecosystem and <clears throat> even some of the, 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 the early 
early stage seed, pre-seed kind of angel round, how collaborative that is and how like, well, if you go in, I'll go in and we'll call so-and-so and they'll come in as well and we'll get these people in the same room. And it definitely seems like it's very collaborative at those early stages. But when it gets to the middle, the upper is where I hear it gets obviously it often can get a little bit more competitive because there's more at stake. Yeah, there is. Yeah. But sometimes these ideas aren't fully baked yet and they think they are. So they've documented mm -hmm. a patent or they've written it down and, you know, they paid a lot of money to get that piece of paper. And actually there's another kind of gyration or mm -hmm. evolution of that tech that's going to make it commercially viable. So sometimes when we patent things too early, we, we get ourselves locked in and we're protecting that patent. And, and I think we need to understand that this technology doesn't just have to work. Uh, you know, in a lab, it acts to be scalable commercially yeah, and it might actually go through another two or three iterations. I think another, another thing uh, that, that startups often see is they, they, they see their experiments and they've done this and they've converted this, but then they don't really understand the market and they don't really understand who the buyer is and what company would want to, you know, adopt this technology and, and commercialize it. So they, they, they don't realize that once they've actually have a customer and, the, and they start to understand the needs of that customer, that their technology is probably going to change. And I've seen that in a few instances mm -hmm. where there's a clean tech firm and then we connect them with a major energy player. And then six months later, they're like, uh, yeah, what I was going to build, I'm not going to build that exactly. I'm going to build something and shape it around my customer, make sure it hits the mark. So... Yeah. Is that the old, is that this, the old advice of get it in front of your cut? Like I heard the other day, don't fall in love with the problem, fall in love with your customer's problem. <laughs> and there was a very exactly. distinctive, like, I really fall, don't fall in love with your version of the customer's problems. I think what they said and do the opposite, <laughs> make sure it's actually, and I'd, I'd had a few people on and they talked about like, oh, I had the best idea ever. And I got the executive to buy in, but the guys that were using it in the field, guys and gals, yeah. It was it was not serviceable, and they actually just pushed it off to the side, even though everyone was bought yeah. in and thought it was a great idea. But the user themselves was never consulted, and they said it would almost put us out of business. And we we got it, it sorted out. It was a game changer because we actually took everybody into consideration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think you know some people they chase like a government grant, and they they they're in the lab, and it's like Eureka, yeah. and they think they have you know they've invented sliced bread here or something, and then yep. all of a sudden they they get some money from the government, and then they they advance their technology a bit, you really, that's why a lot of government programs, they're looking for an industry match. So it's, it's money from industry, it's money from the government and it. And, mm, and that's, right. that's a proof to them that there's a customer. So if there's no industry player listed on, on, on their idea, it's kind of viewed as just an idea, but as soon as there's some market traction uh, and a customer that wants that technology, that, that process technology or whatnot, it starts to get real really fast. And, you know, you talked about uh, E3 and Imperial Oil. So as soon as that matchmaking starts to happen, it starts to get a lot of attention yep. because, you know, ideas get real when, when people really want to buy into it. I've had a few people on talk about that chasm of death that exists between like, it's a great idea, but I don't have a customer and how wide and deep that, that chasm can be. And the best idea that's been incubated and had money invested in it doesn't always succeed because there isn't a customer there to take it and actually make it, make it real. <laughs> Yeah, and then often we 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 end up being a bit of a matchmaker. So, startup mm, company will come and build something in our lab, and then a, a, a major industrial player will be in the lab working on another project, and we'll get their attention. And so that's that's another thing that I think is we've created a bit of a, a space and an ecosystem where these different peoples from different walks of life can get together and solve problems. And this is what's exciting about our new lab that we're opening up is that there's going to be a lot more capability to build prototypes, machine things, put together process technologies. And, and we, what we found is that if, if we can get people in a room, we're rolling up their sleeves together. And that, you know, you, you talked about how the person in the field, the, the operator themselves um, versus the C-suite executive, you need to put this in the hands of people that have operated this kind of technology to say, you know what, this will work. Yeah. And those same individuals will tell you exactly why it won't, but then you can fix it. Then you can change it, right? With hey, them. this won't work. Yeah. yeah, with them, with them alongside. Yeah. Well, there's there's nothing more powerful than having your quote unquote customer in the in the room with you, and you start and you start working together. And as as an old creative director I used to have, he goes, you know, if it's if you can get the customer to share the idea, they're often very very reluctant to kill their own young. <laughs> it's like it was such yeah. a harsh term the way he said it. <laughs> but if you see your fingerprints on an idea, there's a whole other level of ownership than just somebody presenting it and telling you it's a good idea. <laughs> 
And it's uh, all about ownership and buy-in. Yeah. Yes. We're so, I'm we're sure not, you can come up with a better analogy. I know. I'll, it was I'll rough. It's the only one I could think of. Let's come up with a better one because I'm like, mm, that's so inappropriate in almost every single environment you might want to use it in. But <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Hey, we're, we're 42 minutes in. If they're still listening now, they're clearly bought into our, to, to our, to our conversation. <laughs> But I really appreciate coming on and kind of sharing what you're seeing and the reality. And I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about what I'm seeing in Alberta and seeing again, Western Canada in general. I know this is collisions YYC, but you know, we don't live in a, in a little, in a dome or on an Island. You can't have the conversation about what's going on in Calgary without talking about the rest of the, uh, the rest of the province and Western Canada from an inner, from an energy perspective. But I'm, I'm feeling, I was optimistic when I got off the podcast with you last round and equally so, and it feels like we're just more on the same, more of the same of kind of what you were predicting and why you kind of got into this version of the game uh, that many years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've always had this ambition of changing the world and I, I have to distill it down to something a little bit more tangible. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, changing the world is one, one, one pilot plan at a time or one test at a time. And, and you know, one thing we, we talked about, you know, I think even the last Moore's Law of Computing, how computing yeah. power is exponentially changed and, you know, the world is going through another batch of exponential change and you know disruption is just at tenfold right now we talked about supply chain uncertainty and mm -hmm. high energy prices and inflation and and the world still wants to do all you know we want to have our cake and eat it too and we want cheap energy and we want no ghgs and and you know we want to electrify vehicles and that's going to require chasing a bunch of really rare earth minerals as well to build these batteries and so it's it's interesting spot where the world's at right now. It's I, I would say, it's there's a, there's going to be exponential change. So you know, Exergy's there ready to kind of deal with that change and help people try and test and test out their new ideas. So I think you know when we spoke two years ago, I would say that I'm even more certain to, that 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 we need to double down and, and hence the investment in the new lab to uh, to really help these companies bring these, these technologies to market. I think it's important that, uh, yeah. I couldn't agree. And I, I really like what you said about, you know, we, we want our cake and eat it too. We want energy abundance, but we, but we demand and we want all of the other things that go with it. Like you said, like a, a lower footprint and carbon emissions and all the things that go with that. And that's the difference. I think sometimes we're talking about energy transition versus energy transformation. We're transforming our energy sector, but the world is on a path to consuming more energy. And some of the, um, what did I hear the other day? When 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 marketing's leading policy or vice versa, we if we're not careful and we kind of turn off certain certain switches too soon, we then become an energy we create an energy scarcity kind of profile that all these things have to happen together, but yet almost almost simultaneously. Like it, it is a tricky balance. Like we are demanding a lot of of change out there when yeah, no, no, I want super cheap and accessible power, but I want it to be perfect and clean and everything to be amazing. Oh, and I'd like it by tomorrow. Do you think you can do that for me? Like that's a tough it's a tough reality when you get into what the messaging is out there versus the time it takes to actually innovate at, at this level, which is we're moving in the path, but it's it's a 20 what are we? I heard someone say that we're 20 year we're 10 years late to a 20 year plan. Someone said to me, I think Jim Gibson from uh, School of Advanced Digital said that to me a while back and that always stuck with me because I kind of I kind of re reframe it a couple of ways, but we're, we're definitely on the journey, but it never feels like it can be fast enough these days. And I think that really wears a lot yeah, of people I, down as well. I, I think you're right though, as marketing is leading uh, uh, policy, it's leading in, in some ways technology, but you know, some, I think it's where we have to look at is the regulatory framework is probably the next place to look mm. Um, one good example is like, um, you know, all the uh, oil sands players are talking about this pathways to net zero by, you know, 20, there's goals by 2030, there's goals by 2050. And then when you look at, for example, uh, nuclear, uh, small modular nuclear reactors, that's all the buzz right now. And, and the oil sands and, and Alberta's Northern Alberta has a big need for thermal energy to extract the oil. And we, we basically have to look at things like nuclear and, and but the, the regulatory timeframes are very, very long and not necessarily long due to safety. Like there are safe reactors out there. There's a, there's a lot of advancements that make, I think we get, we get, a, you know, when, when somebody builds a nuclear reactor on the side of the ocean and there's a, there's a tsunami and you know, there was some big catastrophic events that have happened in the world. And we kind of give, give the whole industry a bad rap and, but if we want to get to net zero, these are technologies Those are the that do not emit any use. carbon. 
So we need to we need to think about government policy and and really accelerating the regulatory framework because um, uh, lowering GHG is is a race against time, and so that means that's the one parameter that people kind of forget. How do we reduce the time? And um, and and that's going to require a lot of uh, government help. I was at a conversation the other day, and they were chatting very specifically about the the nuclear option and they said you know reality of like regulatory wise you wouldn't even begin to see potential to start doing anything until 2035 based on the reality of this could have a positive impact sooner and that's they were kind of chatting about the 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 broken regulatory framework even provincially versus federally around and they use they use that very like exact example that you brought up and i've been bumping into more conversations where that nuclear option is coming up as like well if we want this by then it's actually that's the only option <laughs> but yeah. you know Right. There's a lot of bad media and a bad press over very commonly known. I think I just watched the Three Mile Island documentary on Netflix, which wasn't a cheery documentary either. <laughs> if you really want to follow that up, then go watch Chernobyl and you really, really are not in a good mood about nuclear <laughs> solutions, but two completely different conversations. But from a media or an uneducated perspective, the word nuclear is bad because we've been taught that, you know, due to errors and human error, that there's been some catastrophic events that... but. You know, like <laughs> I reserve the right to get better at things too, right? That's a, t- it's a tricky balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're naturally fearful, and they say that people remember negative experiences a lot more than positive ones. And there's a lot of you know clean, green energy being generated in the nuclear sector mm-hmm. and ev- evolution. Like there's small modular nuclear reactors where you can walk away from it, and the control room operator could leave it, and it's naturally going to actually shut down itself. You know, and you know, drop the rods or whatever. And, yeah. you know, and, and they're we used to build like plants at a very large scale. And I think now they're looking at smaller scale, uh, repeatable kind of solutions. And, and uh, no, I think that industry has gone a long ways, but industry, but public perception just never goes away. And, and um, yeah, we just remember the bad things, but how about the thousands of generators that are hundreds of thousands, hundreds of generators that are actually, you know, producing green energy every day. We don't talk about the positive side. So you got to you got to decide. Do you, do you want your do you want to extinct all these species on the planet, or do you want to actually, you know, it, it's there's there's going to be you got to pay in some way, and there's going to be certain risks that can be controlled and and managed. I really I really appreciate that perspective. But all those thousands of successful instances don't make for a good Netflix special. They don't. They don't get as many yeah. viewers. I find. <laughs> exactly, Billy. I appreciate your perspective and and the, the philosophy around kind of what you do and, and why you do it. And it sounds like you guys are really an exciting place. And like before, it sounds like you're very much enjoying the game you're playing right now, which is which is great. It comes through loud, loud and clear. What's the best way? Obviously, Extrogy. You guys have a good website, extrogysolutions.com. What if someone wanted to reach out and get a hold of you or come and? I I can imagine people listening wanting to come and work there. It kind of makes me want to work there. If I was qualified, I'd be like, well, this sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like growing up in a shop. It sounds great. What can we build today? <laughs> What's the best yeah. way for people to get a hold of you or reach out or if they're curious about, you know, even potential for employment? Yeah, and they can connect with us on our website. All the different uh, email addresses are there and we're on top of our, uh, I'm on top of my LinkedIn profile. And nice. and I, I would say a lot of customers, it starts with a lab visit or or potential employees is, is come through the lab and, and see kind of people rolling up their sleeves, getting things done to change our industry. And um, that that kind of tells the story when you when you actually see see the facility, it, it explains a lot about what Extrogy does. The, the website is a is a, is a website, and um, we, we <laughs> and love, the lab and the lab is a lab. Yeah, no, I yeah, I and we give it. lots of tours. So uh, yeah, uh, so, yeah, I would say uh, reach out, and uh, maybe we can show you around. That's awesome. And you said you're in your new location in September. Yeah, in September. Yeah. Nice, exciting. Well, I might have to. I might have to pop in for my. For I came in through your first facility, so I'm definitely gonna. I won't miss that opportunity to come and check it out. Uh, Billy, thanks for so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for coming back, and uh, congratulations, you guys are doing some awesome work. I love it. Thanks, Tyler. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, you're doing a great job socializing a lot of great entrepreneurs and ideas out there. So keep it up. Thank you very much. My pleasure. 